0: Welcome to the Top Nonprofits Podcast. We know that you're working hard to stay on top of the latest best practices to help your organization deliver on its mission. And this podcast is here to make that a little easier. Twice a month, your host, Amy Davida, interviews a nonprofit expert on topics ranging from fundraising to volunteer recruitment and a little of everything in between to give all our friends an opportunity to learn from the best nonprofit leaders and organizations out there everybody. Welcome to the Top Nonprofits Podcast. Um, I'm here today with a very special guest joining us. Her name is Sarah Olivieri. Hi, Sarah.
1: Hi, Amy. It's a pleasure to be
0: here. Well, it's, it's so great to have you. Thank you very much. Um, we are excited, and I'm excited to hear some of the answers you have about strategic planning, specifically in a digital age. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Sarah has some terrific advice for everyone listening on how you can take your strategic plan to the next level and make it really work for your organization and for you. So before we get started... I know there's more to Sarah than just her name, Um, and let's find out a little bit more. Sarah, can you share with the folks listening um, a little bit about you and your background and your areas of expertise?
1: Absolutely. Well, I am a former executive director uh, at a couple nonprofits, including one foundation. I've also, in the nonprofit space, been the conference coordinator, the marketer, the program director, all those hats you end up getting along the way. Um, the finance person, I've been that too. And life took me on a turn um, during the economic downturn to lean on my marketing skills. I formed a marketing agency, digital marketing, and building websites uh, for businesses and nonprofits, and that quickly led me, as I grew that, to focus exclusively on nonprofits where I could help them the most. And that led me to realizing that many of the nonprofits that I worked with really couldn't handle great marketing because they just didn't have the internal structures in place to move effectively and consistently at the speed that you need to move in the digital age to take advantage of digital marketing. And so that led me, I actually had a client ask me if I would come help rearrange their team and their programs and how they were working. And I fell in love with that work, but I was a very reluctant consultant. Um, So I actually, I wanted to not just give people my great ideas, but create a way for people To come up with their own ideas and make make sure that those ideas were great as they created their plans and um, kind of changed the way they operate so that they can really thrive in this pretty fast moving digital age. And so I did that. I birthed the Impact Method, which is the first and I believe still only business operating framework specifically for nonprofits. And it's my pleasure these days to train nonprofits in that and provide consulting. Um, I love talking to nonprofit leaders and board members and learning about people's mission. So it's such a joy um, for me to be able to do that work these days.
0: It's really, and it comes across in the way you're explaining it. I mean, it's, it's really great to be able to be doing for a living what you really love and what makes you happy. And you're getting joy clearly from helping others and, those folks are helping other people too. That's what's great about, uh, really great about the nonprofit sector. Um, And like many of those listening, I'm sure you have clearly worn every hat uh, at an organization. So as with that, um, that gives you a really terrific perspective or multiple perspectives. And um, we're, Glad that you got over the reluctancy and became a consultant who can help other organizations. Um, You know, Sarah, when we were talking earlier, um, and this this ties into the digital age, we were talking earlier about the old style, you know, strategic plan that was in a binder and it got developed got put into the pretty binder and it sits on a shelf. And I think that, you know, if we can all visualize one of those and we've all seen them um, and think of how far we've come from that being the way of a strategic plan to the digital, what's available now. So that being said, can you kind of take us into really the, you know, what, what do you see as the biggest misconception of strategic planning with the folks you talk to?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's kind of tied for two. One is that... that the strategic plan is, or creating the strategic plan is really the work of the board. And we're no longer in a world, our world moves too fast. It moves faster than boards can move because boards have to operate as a group. They're essentially running like a three-legged race, but with three people or 10 people or 15 people, and they all need to be able to agree, which is really great for governance, but it is not really great for continually refining and updating um, strategies and the plans that are moving our organizations forward. Um, in an aligned and focused way. So I would say that's one thing. It's still very much common for people to think, oh, it's my board's job to do the strategic planning. And I would really, at this day and age, say, no, it really needs to be the staff, the executive director leading in the strategic planning process. And the new board role, I really think, is to ask of this organization, do we have a strategy strategy? And are we executing that strategy? And does that strategy make sense? Those are the kind of three things boards really need to be worrying about with strategic plans. And then the other thing I think is that uh, a misconception is that it requires a ton of research in order to complete your strategic plan. And I think, you know, in the old days, kind of pre-internet um, or pre-internet version two and, and the world of big data, um, data was hard to collect. And so we did it less frequently. And so it kind of fit well with strategic planning to have kind of this research component. But in today's world, we're collecting data way more than we can ever use on a daily basis by the second the data is coming in. And so we need to incorporate ways of using our data and making data-informed decisions in our daily operations, but we no longer should or need to kind of front-load our strategic planning process with a research component. And I'd say Mm -hmm. if you're finding your organization doesn't have the data to make decisions, um, to have something in your strategic plan, um, then what you need to put in your strategic plan is change the way we operate so that we can leverage data on a regular basis and consistently improve using data-informed decisions.
0: As you... Touch on the the data aspect. This isn't something we talked about earlier, but maybe you want to. Maybe you can speak to it a little bit. A lot of folks are afraid of data. What do we ask about? You know, what data do we need to collect? What do we have? How? I'm not a numbers person. I mean, I'm just thinking of the things that I, I hear frequently from folks. With that in mind, do you have any advice for? basic data that you would say, okay, you don't have to do all kinds of research, but start with these points.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd say the number one thing is if you have a weekly staff meeting, um, Whatever data you can easily grab, just start looking at your data. I think building in a routine at looking at data is step one before even worrying about what data you're collecting. Mm -hmm. Just get used to looking at it. And then after that, you don't want to overwhelm yourself with too many data points. You can pretty much always at this point dig into deeper data should you need it. Um, But I'd say, you know, find a few key data points that um, are really relevant to your organization. And I'll give you a few specifics, but I'll just say there's there's quantitative data, that's numbers, and there's qualitative data, which could be the stories of success or failure that are happening with your clients or with your staff members, um, struggles that you're experiencing, or even gut feelings can be valuable qualitative data mm-hmm. so don't forget about qualitative data it's it's extra important for nonprofits because often our missions are hard you can't likely I don't know many nonprofits where they can put a, a number that tells them exactly that they're achieving their mission because usually their mission is a little soft and not not it's not a kind environment for putting numerical data on so don't discount your qualitative data. Mm-hmm. but that being said as far as your numbers because I know people are scared, Um, You should probably be looking at a few financial numbers um, for the health of your organization. Things like your overall cost to raise a dollar or your profit margin. You do have a profit margin or you can call it your net revenue margin. Um, You want to have a sense of, you know, are you building enough wiggle room into your organization to be growing? It's also helpful to know like your overall worth, which I think a great number to look at is called Luna, your liquid unrestricted net assets. It sounds big and scary, but it's just all the cash you have available and everything that's worth money that could be turned into cash pretty quickly. It's like how much do you have in your bank account, essentially, if you're just thinking of personal stuff um, to have wiggle room to do things. Um, So those are some financials. Otherwise, you might look at, you know, how many people did you serve that week, that month, that year? Um, And if there's a number that you can put on that represents the quality or the satisfaction of that, that's helpful. If not, stick with the qualitative data around that, the stories of success. And you probably want something around your fundraising too, you know, whether it's total money coming in or, um your gross fundraising revenue so your fundraising income after the direct fundraising expenses um, so that you know whether or not that's healthy
0: so I'm glad uh, that's great that you put that out there and everyone I'm sure you're taking notes that between financials or the number of you know the number of people you've served um, or your fundraising those are those are figures that you don't have to dig very deeply to find, and you can certainly put them into any kind of framework that um, is easy for discussion um, and easy to comprehend, so that you're not freaking anybody out. We, I sit on a board actually, Sarah, and that mm-hmm. our financial. Um, uh, so, the member who was in charge of finance would come to our monthly meetings. That goes back to what you were saying about, you know, boards aren't exactly very nimble. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> not only do we all have to be in agreement, but we meet like once a month. So how quickly is anything going to happen? It's going to take at least two months. And in a digital age, two months is like an eternity. But anyway, we went from a finance financial person who would give a one-sentence, like okay, stocks are up reply to on, that was his report to Mm -hmm. now somebody who has taken and created a dashboard that is on our printout. And, um, and it shows everything. I literally is a, it's a, it's a very financial report. As a matter of fact, it kind of gives me a little, um, anxiety looking at it because there's so many things on it, but um, but walking through it, what it does, that answers everybody's question as to where did money go? How is it being spent? Where did it come from? So those are, um, you know, I think the hardest part of that for him was figuring out what points to report on, not necessarily, as you said, you know, it's not necessarily finding the information, the data, because you have it.
1: Yeah, so, absolutely. So. Absolutely. And I would say related to finances, um, I actually have a, a budget template on our website that we give away. I, we can put the link to that in the show notes. Awesome. Um, awesome. But you'll see in that all the formulas for um, calculating like percentages and margins. And I really find those numbers, which tend to be small numbers because they're mm-hmm. between one and a hundred, are much more telling than the actual dollar numbers themselves. Um, so I would encourage you to look at those. Oh, formulas.
0: Yeah that's great. Okay. Yeah. So look for that in the show notes. Um, So talking also about numbers kind of leads me down the road of thinking about growth. And I've seen you speak about this kind of clarify the difference for the folks listening of there is a difference between growth and scale or scaling. So can you explain the differences and maybe even, I don't know if you have an example of each of those?
1: Sure. This is one of the things I think not enough nonprofits are really thinking about because most nonprofits, I think, are focused on growth. And growth is great to a degree. And I'll explain the difference. I'll give you some examples. And and then it'll start to make sense why you're going to want scale over growth. So growth is like... Everything gets bigger together. So you have a program, it serves 10 people and you want to double. So you've got one staff member for 10 people and now you're going to double. So you're going to have two staff members and you're going to serve 20 people, right? The number of staff members is going up kind of proportionally proportionally with the number of people you're serving. That would be growth. Scale is, is really about innovation. So when you figure out how to scale, you figure out how to serve more people or make a bigger impact without increasing the resources it takes to deliver that impact at the same rate as the impact, meaning you can serve more people with the resources you have now um, or with just a little increase in resources, serve exponentially more people. So in that same example, you have a program and the teacher teaches 10 people. Well, maybe you figure out how to educate 20 people just as well as you did in the group of 10 without adding another teacher. That would be scaling. Um, and so we become, the more we scale, the more efficient we are at delivering our missions. that
0: That's a great, those were, Perfect examples. I I feel like I have a better handle on it now too. So thank you. Um,
1: <laughs> uh, let me let me throw in too, because I think a lot of nonprofits, if you're feeling overwhelmed and stuck, you might have to do what I call like scaling backwards. So mm-hmm. you might not be ready to add the number of services, but your your version of scaling might be how can we continue to deliver what we're delivering now, but really reduce the amount of time, energy. And- resources it takes to do it so that we can dedicate, you probably need to redirect some of your resources towards your fundraising capacity and other things that often get neglected as nonprofits grow. And then nonprofits get stuck in this awful, overwhelming burnout space, which I don't think is right. And it's certainly not helpful. So scale might not look for you initially like adding more, serving more, but just serving, treading water while reducing the pressure. On your team,
0: oh, and who wouldn't love to be able to do that? Um, so, how here's kind of a I don't know, maybe it's a silly question, but how how do I know when it's time to revisit a strategic plan?
1: Yeah. So I say you should routinely plan to visit your strategic plan, whether you think it needs visiting or not, every 60 to 90 days. In the impact method, we do it every 60 days um, so that we really don't slip. Um, But otherwise, whenever, if your team starts like growing, if the number of issues that are just coming through your door starts growing all of a sudden really quickly... Revisit your strategic plan. Um, or if if just the general sense of overwhelm is heating up, revisit your strategic plan. Um, also, with those, I simultaneously recommend that you revisit um, your organizational structure. But typically what I find is when kind of bad symptoms are happening, it's either that you've added something to your plan without putting it on your plan um, or you've just gone off track and didn't realize it. And what's great about that is when you revisit your strategic plan as the solution, you can say, oh, all this stuff that's causing all these problems, it's because we went off course. So we're going to stop going off course and we're not going to do all those things that's causing problems. Um, Or sometimes it's because you did grow and you need to change the way your operations are so that you can Mm -hmm. switch, you can turn that growth into scaling and not have, um, have that effort increasing exponentially on you.
0: So there are both time limitations and you'll feel impact, you know, you'll feel it if you need to be revisiting. As we're looking at a revised plan or a new plan, um, who at the organization do you feel we need to get buy-in from? Assuming assuming I'm the, you know, executive director, who do I need to get on board with me and how would I do that?
1: Um, You really need all the kind of leadership voices in either in agreement that it's the right plan, um, or probably I would say they should all be in agreement, um, but you really need kind of more fine-tuned buy-in. From um, everybody who's going to have to execute the plan, that's part of the reason why I really advocate for EDs and their teams to be the ones who are really creating these plans, more than a consultant, more than the board, more than anyone from the outside. Because part of the part of having a great plan isn't just what goals you set but the order that you decide to work on them in and the amount of work that you decide you're going to do within a given amount of time towards achieving those goals. Because only your team really begins to know what is accomplishable um, in in your organization in a month or two months or six months. Um, So I'd say, you know, the more people, the better. Um, And that's partly why, you know, as I sat down with this question of like, how do we... Make strategic planning better. what What we built into the impact method um, is a visual layout for strategic plans. We actually build them, they look like mind maps. Mm-hmm. And that is because they it's oh. it's easy to stay mission focused when every goal and every action to achieve that goal you set has a line directly connecting it to the mission. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So that like visually clues us in. And also that line visually explains a lot of things that you don't have to put into words now. Um, So we actually put the mission at the center and then we draw, you know, three to five lines out and we put our core goals that we're trying to achieve, our core outcomes that we're trying to achieve that are going to likely help us make our mission possible.
0: What better way to really be like very focused and intentional than to just have those mind maps and have them taped up next to your computer every day? Or <laughs> where, do you, where do you recommend keeping those?
1: Yeah, we use a digital tool. Um, it's free or very low cost if your team is larger called ZenKit. Um, so we keep them digital so that everybody can look at them and and collaborate on them. We're changing them every two months. Um, so it's great. It's kind of time-saving to have it be this living digital document. Yeah. Um, but we're pulling it up for the whole team every two months. So everybody has a link and can look at it as much as they want, but they're definitely looking at it every two months and they're looking at a smaller part, we build our execution plans direct like physically, digitally linked to the strategic plan. And we look at that part of the execution plan every two weeks. Um, So everybody, it's always top of mind. What are we working on? and that helps us stay focused and get more done. And it also helps us when when the barrage of suggestions about what we should be doing starts coming through our doors, we can say, yep, yep, it's on the plan for the future, or we've, you know, we've noted it to review, but that's not our focus this two weeks. <laughs> we've got our plate full.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. That's a that's a great response to a question that I know gets asked a lot. Sarah, I you've brought up impact method a couple of times during our conversation, so I would love to hear, you know, can you define what that is and how it works?
1: Sure. Um so it's I like to think of it as a business framework or you could call it a holistic system for how to make sure that a nonprofit is operating at maximum efficiency for delivering impact, and it really has 3 Three key components, um, and those are the idea that you have to have a great um, method of organization or leadership to keep everybody working together in your organization. And in the impact method, we have two core components that allow us to do that, um, which are a way, uh, it's an alternative to an org chart. We call it the nonprofit blueprint, it's a, a structure of accountability. Um, And then we have what I call the the heart of your brand, which is who you are as an organization, if your organization were a person, and that helps people really align with your organization. So that's the how, you know, who you are, how you are able to operate, how you're organized as a group of people. Um, The second component is um, your roadmap for taking action. And um, in the impact method, we have two core components in there. The strategic plan, we call it an impact strategy. That's the mind map piece. And our CAP, our continuous action plan, which is where we've broken down the action steps we're taking in a 60-day period into two-week chunks. Um, And then the third element is the process for improvement. Um, So when you get a great way of being and leading and operating paired with a great way of moving forward all in the same direction and taking action. And then you add in a process for continually improving. You have the synergy between all three of those things makes this like super machine. Um, And so our process for improvement Consists of um, biweekly meetings where we're checking in on what we're what we're taking action on in those sixty days. um, Sixty day sessions meetings where we are looking at our strategy and reviewing that and refining that, and then a total of four weeks of respite each year that are built into the impact method because I'm such a strong believer that we need to rest, whether it's totally time off or just time off from being so aggressive with making forward progress. Um, I really felt it was important to build that into the method so that the rest was not an optional extra thing, but was something that was considered necessary and crucial for success.
0: Absolutely. That's, we applaud you for including that. Yay. That is, you know, the, the burnout rate is just you know, crazy. So um, to be able to work that into a thing where it's, it's expected and it's not looked down upon that you're taking time off, right? It's not like you don't have to apologize for it. We expect
1: Absolutely. that. In fact, it's worked into the plan. If you're not taking time off, that's bad business for nonprofits Mm -hmm. because burnout is extremely inefficient. Mm -hmm. Um, So to be operating at maximum like mission delivery efficiency, you can't be burned out. So I think it's really crucial. It's not just like a luxury. It is something that is critical for um, succeeding. Absolutely.
0: Thank you for mentioning that. We'll have to have a whole nother episode just talking about ways to avoid that in the future. Um, Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, and I am certain that the folks listening are getting a lot out of this, and (laughs) we'll include the link to the budget template um, in the notes. And so, Sarah, how can somebody reach out to you directly? What's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Sure, the best way is to go to my website, pivotground.com. P-I-V-O-T-G-R-O-U-N-D.com. And you can, actually, there's an apply button. You can apply for a free consultation call. If you really want to have a conversation with me, that's the best thing to do. It is actually a free consultation, not a sales pitch. So come ready with an issue that you're looking for help with. And I'll make sure you leave with one to three great next steps. Um, Otherwise, you can also just contact me on our website or you can reach out on Facebook or LinkedIn.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because the last episode I interviewed Heather Yandau from the Nonprofitist, and she talked about the five questions you should be ready to answer, or you should have answered before you reach out to a consultant. So
1: Yes, if not, go, you back go back and listen. Or and you, you can go back call with me. <laughs> Fortunately,
0: it's all digital, so you can find it. Um, great. Well, I encourage folks to reach out to you for help. What words of advice or pearl of wisdom would you like to share with the folks as we say goodbye?
1: I would just say, I think the answer to being not overwhelmed, the answer to really succeeding in your nonprofit is that you have to do things quite differently than a lot of best practice information um, out there. There's certainly lots of great information, but there's lots of old information. And I just encourage you and your boards uh, and all your leaders at your nonprofit to be brave and try something new. That's it for today, friends. See you soon. In the meantime, check out all the great resources we offer at topnonprofits.com.